We all got 2020'd. But I'm not playing the victim card, and I don't want you to either. We're going to finish the year with some practical, actionable episodes to help you get momentum that will take you into a new life now. Don't wait until January. Now is the time to get in the fight. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Hey, everybody, this is BT of The Aggressive Life. You know, sometimes well-laid plans are put to rest and changed. I just got done recording a podcast that was to be the very first release of 2021. I was going to start the new season off really, really strong with Dr. Francis Collins, in my mind, the most respected scientist in the land, the head of the National Institute of Health, and an incredibly strong, solid, well-rooted person of faith. And I just, man, I felt like, I felt it was so rich, and I just wanted to cut through the clutter of what's happening with all things COVID. I know you're sick of COVID. I am too. But I just think there was some timely things in this that you would be well, you'd be well served to have now, you and probably everybody you know. So we're going to, We're going to run this episode ahead of schedule. We're not going to edit it uh, because I want it out that quick. We're just literally taking it from the file, copying and pasting and uh, all this to help you because I want to help you and I want our country to be helped. Uh, I'm not doing this podcast so that I can get more followers, though more followers is nice. I'm not doing this podcast to make a name for myself. I'm doing this podcast to help you and help people. And I think there was some incredibly helpful stuff here that I don't want to wait a few weeks on. So here we go. Welcome to the aggressive life. Today is a banner day. It is a banner day. I, I, I am I am utterly giddy, totally giddy over who I'm going to be with. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now of all the things that you could listen, all the people you could listen to, This is the thing you want to listen to now. This is, in my opinion, maybe the most important person that you may listen to all week, maybe all year. I have an incredible, incredible guest for us today. I have Dr. Francis Collins. And someone's saying, who in the world is Dr. Francis Collins? Let 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 me tell you who this guy is. Let me let me tell you who he is. Number one, he rides motorcycles. I cannot wait to have a motorcycle conversation with this man. Number two, he is a foremost authority on matters of faith and science. This guy has a genuine Christian faith, and he has the chops that any uh, any scientist would salivate over. He has been uh, appointed by former President Barack Obama to head the National Institute of Health, He led the Human Genome Project that mapped DNA. Uh, He is in personal conversations every day with Dr. Anthony Fauci, who (laughs) all of us know that name, and all of us wish we didn't have to know that name, but we know that name because of the COVID. Friends, I'm just like you. 
COVID crap. I'm tired of talking about COVID. I'm sick of it. It's, it's, it just goes on and on. And I'll tell you why I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it because it's everybody giving their own personal opinion. Everybody giving their own little spin on, the, on their values or, or their news feeds. We are so ill-informed. And I want to talk to them about that today because we can't even trust some of the stuff that we get. I think you're going to trust this guy. I think you're going to like this guy. I'm honored he came onto the aggressive life. Dr. Francis Collins, welcome to The Aggressive Life. My goodness, what a buildup that was. <laughs> I hope I can at least 10% live up to some of those advertisements of what I might be able to bring to your uh, podcast, but I'll do my darndest. Oh, you're do, you're going to do it, I'm telling you. And I'm just, I'm just hoping you're going to like me by the end of this because I am in love with you right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things and challenge some things. I'm going to do it in such a way that I'm going to give you the ability to make me look stupid because I like being stupid. So I'm going to give you some straight, direct things, and, and, I'm, and I'm hoping you set some records straight. Before we do, let's talk about what's really important. Motorcycles. Let's talk about <laughs> you, 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 You're a big motorcycle rider. Tell us about that. Well, I started in college because I couldn't afford a car, and then I fell in love with these two-wheeled things that had motors and uh, kind of been riding, except when my kids were little, when I thought maybe it wasn't quite so responsible. But uh, right now, I'm on a Harley Road King Classic. It's uh, red. It uh, runs really loud, and uh, <laughs> I... Uh, on a nice Saturday afternoon, if I can find a country road, then I'm going to really have a great time with my wife on the back and uh, let the wind blow. It's, so so if it's running loud, then uh, do you have a stage one do, done to it? Or those of you who don't know, stage one, whenever you get a Harley, everyone thinks these are amazing machines. They can be amazing machines, but most guys, the first thing to do is stage one modification, which is pipes that are louder and they get uh, different fuel mapping uh, all this, have, you, have you done that kind of stuff to your to your bike? I was tempted, but I think my neighbors would probably not appreciate it. They're sort of barely tolerating the fact that there's a Harley in their cul-de-sac already, and I don't want to push <laughs> it too much further. Well, well, hasn't anyone told you that motorcycles are dangerous? You're a medical guy, National Institute of Health. So how do you reconcile <laughs> riding a motorcycle with being the director of the National Institute of Health, it sounds already like you're on the outskirts. Well, yes, this has been pointed out to me about a thousand times by people who say, this is a bad role model. You're encouraging bad behavior. And yes, it is true. Motorcycles are dangerous. Believe me, I wear my helmet faithfully. I will never be on the bike without that. And I guess I'm pretty careful. I only had one sort of scrape, which happened to be on my honeymoon with my wife in the south of France, where we hit an oil slick in a traffic circle, and that was not pretty. But otherwise, I've never dropped it. This, uh, this Harley has no scratches on it, and I've had it now for 14 years. Well, I, th I think that, uh, that for me is one of the reasons why I, wanna, I pay attention to you. Um, I respect you greatly. Uh, your book that you wrote on faith and science a number of years ago, which I can't remember the names of books anymore because I read on Kindle. And so whenever I read on Kindle, I don't see the, you know, the cover every single time. Uh, what was the name of that book, Francis? The Language of God Lang is what it was called. The Language of God. And the subtitle was A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief. So I, I just have such high regard for you because that book really spoke to science and faith coming together in a way that nothing I've ever read has. And when you're a guy who rides motorcycles, it tells me that you, you, you're open to a healthy level of risk. You're not, 
you know, you're not, hey, let's all just lock ourselves in rooms and have airbags on all the walls. You're, 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 o- you're open to an appropriate level of risk. I, 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 I like that about you. It makes me be able to identify with you. Let's, let's go back. Let's, let's go back to some of the precepts in the book and science and faith, because boy, there's a lot of, a lot of talk. It's, it just seems like people have swallowed whole the belief that faith and science cannot exist, that you either are a person of faith who believes stupid things that can't be reasoned, or you're a person of science that only believes what can happen in a laboratory. How, how do you see those things coming together? Well, it really is unfortunate that that's the message that has been sold to a lot of people. It's simply not true. Science and faith are ways of finding the truth. Uh, they ask different questions, and they have different ways of getting answers. I like the, the particular metaphor that Francis Bacon put forward a long time ago, which is that God gave us not one book, but two. One of the books was the Bible, God's words, the book of God's words. I read it every morning. But he gave us another book, nature, the book of God's works, the creation. And we are allowed to admire that, too, and read about it and learn about it and be in awe of its beauty and its elegance. And why would you think if God gave us two books that they would conflict with each other? You just have to think about which one you're reading and what kind of questions you're posing to that. Another way of saying it is that science is really good at answering questions about how. How do things work? Scientific method will give you an answer to that. And usually, if it's been replicated a few times, it turns out to be right. And it's true. And it's not a matter of somebody's opinion. But it doesn't help you very much with the why questions. Why is there something instead of nothing? And why am I here? And why uh, do I have this hunger for something outside of myself, this longing for something spiritual that doesn't necessarily make sense otherwise? That's where you need faith. And I didn't start out thinking this. I was an atheist as a graduate student in physical chemistry. And at that point, saw no reason to think that uh, why questions were even interesting. And then I kind of realized I was missing out. Do we want to go through life limiting ourselves to just one kind of perspective on how to find out interesting truths to interesting questions? No, let's have it all. Let's have the scientific worldview and the spiritual worldview, but let's be sure we know which one we're using to answer a particular question, because we can get tangled up if we get that part wrong. Well, that's really well said. I I, I find that if we adhere too exclusively to one of those two books, we have, you know, massive problems. I think uh, people who adhere to the book, hey, the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it. The Bible is the only book that I need. The Bible has all the answers in life. Boy, I hope I don't lose my credentials here, but the Bible does not have all the answers in life. The Bible does not tell me, it does not tell me how I should talk to my wife when I find out something that's painful. The Bible doesn't tell me exactly how I should allocate my money when it comes in. The Bible does not tell me what occupation I should have. The Bible does not tell me anything about aerodynamics. The Bible, there's, there's, there's all these sorts of things. And then at the same time, you said, you said it really well, just strictly adhering to what we can find inside of a laboratory leads to some massive outages. I'm, I'm of one who believes that as we've adhered exclusively to science or some have adhered exclusively to science, I think this goes hand in glove 
with the tanking of our self-esteem and the rising of our suicides and all of the despair we have because if there was just a random accident that happened that brought you into being and there was goo and now there was you, well, you should have no self-esteem and you should be afraid. You should be very, very afraid because there is no creator who cares for you and there's no creator that can backstop you. I mean, if you, do you see things that way or would you push me a little bit on that? No, I, I think that's exactly what um, I hope people will come to recognize is that there's such joy in being able to figure out how to harmonize your view of nature through science and your view of God through faith, because those actually fit together really, really well. I bet a lot of people listening sort of have that feeling that, yeah, I don't really think that science has to be atheistic. And I don't really think that people who are believing in the Bible have to be against science. There must be a way to put these things together. It seems like this is all something God has given to us. Well, there is. And that's what I try to write about in that book. And I think over the course of the past 15 or 20 years, there's an increasing sense that this is a solvable problem. When I started this foundation called BioLogos uh, 12 years ago, it really wasn't a place where thoughtful Christians who wanted to debate the issues about science and faith could go. You would find the people advocating for extremes and doing a lot of mudslinging and saying bad stuff about each other. <laughs> Now, with that, which is biologos.org, if anybody wants to go and look it up, there is some deep thinking going on about how to wrestle with the questions about origins, about age of the earth, about questions about where morality comes from, all of these issues that I think people of faith and people of science have a lot to say to each other, and now they have a chance to do so in a civil, respectful way. So I'll give you one one hot topic on science and faith, just to be able to get a sense of how you how you wrestle with things. Um, the Bible seems to say that God created the earth in six literal days. What well, doesn't say it does say that on the first day God did it, on the second day God said that. And uh, an old guy by the name of Usher, Bishop Usher, a few millennia ago, calculated all the people that were in the Bible and how long they lived and came to the conclusion that the earth was, I said a couple of millennia ago, I'm sorry, a couple of centuries ago, said, said that the earth was therefore 6,000 and some years old. So that's what the Bible says, or does it say that? How do you reconcile that with all of what science says and all of the canyons and caverns and all that stuff? How's that all fit together? Well, let's be clear that people have wrestled with that question uh, ever since the words were first put down uh, for Genesis 1. Exactly what was this trying to say? Does that word yom mean a literal 24-hour day? And how could you have a literal 24-hour day before the sun uh, came into being uh, on day three? So there's a lot of issues there that even before science came along and weighed in here on the age of the universe, uh, people didn't agree on. Uh, I'm a big fan of St. Augustine. He was obsessed about this. He wrote a lot about Genesis and how we should interpret it and is this 24-hour day or not. And ultimately, he concluded from his perspective that there was no real way to know what the right interpretation was. In fact, he had this strong exhortation that we as Christians should be careful not to attach ourselves to one single interpretation on the chance that science might come along and say, well, that doesn't really fit anymore, and then people would lose their faith. Well, here we are. <laughs> he warned us of this in 400 AD, and yet for reasons that are not entirely understandable, 
a lot of American churches have attached themselves uh, to that literal reading of of 24-hour days and Bishop Usher's timing uh, to say that the earth has to be less than 10,000 years old. And frankly, as a scientist, I can tell you from many different directions that we have accumulated over the past many decades, that simply can't be right. Uh, the earth is more like 4.7 or 4.8 billion years old. The universe is more like 13.8 billion years old. Those are very solid numbers. I don't see that that conflicts at all with what I read about in the beginning. In fact, it's actually beautifully symmetrical and synthetic, but it does not allow one to attach yourself to this young earth perspective because it simply won't hold up. I wish people would read John Walton's book about the lost world of Genesis 1 and try to imagine what Genesis must have read like uh, to the first audience for whom it was written and begin to realize that we as Americans with all of our context and all of our ways of thinking about what's history and uh, what is more metaphor, we have changed the view of what those words meant in ways that the original readers never would have thought of. So that would be a strong recommendation. All the books of John Walton, who's a very distinguished Old Testament theologian at Wheaton College, has really opened my eyes as to what really might have been the intention of that, that we've lost along the way because our culture has changed so much. I'm going to try to push everybody a little bit today. I'm going to try to push people who are leaning towards the faithlessness side. I want to push people who are leaning towards the faith side. I want to push people who think that COVID is a big deal. I want to push some people who think that COVID isn't a big deal. Um, here, here's my first little push I want, uh, on folks who are big Bible adherents. You just rattled through something really quickly. I want to make sure people understand. If that first creation account was talking about literal 24-hour days as, as I want to, I keep going back to, I want to call you Dr. Francis Collins, or I want to call you Francis. How would you, I have such call respect me. for you. I'm going to call you whatever you want. What do you would like me to call you? Uh, call me Francis, please, if I can call you Brian. Okay, please. No, I hate when someone says, Pastor Brian, Pat, no, don't call, no, I'm Brian. So yeah, as, as what he said there is that if the sun doesn't come up, isn't created until day three, the way we mark time is obviously the sun coming up or the earth revolving around the sun. The day isn't even created. The way we measure days isn't even created until day three. Even before that, before those seven days are happening, it shows that the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Wait a minute, wait, there's, there's water there? What, 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 wait, what, water doesn't get created later. I'm not trying to do a big treatise on this. I think it's just good for all of us to say, maybe I don't understand everything the way that I think I do. And maybe we need to just hold on to the main things a little bit more stridently and be a little less anal on some of the secondary things. Yeah, and Pastor uh, Brian, um, if, if God has given us curiosity about creation and made it possible for us to begin to understand how it works and the tools of science have been developed because God's given us that kind of creativity and ingenuity and it gives an answer that seems very solid and satisfying, why would that be a threat to God, the creator? Sometimes it feels like Christians feel like they've got to protect God against science because science might uncover something that would embarrass God. It's like, what? Right. I mean, we, we only can do science because God gave us this creation and it's an opportunity to actually be in awe and to be in worship of his creation. I think when I go to the laboratory and do experiments, I'm worshiping God. I'm learning something 
that God gave us in his creation that is awesome and elegant and amazing and maybe even will help somebody who's got a terrible disease uh, not to suffer so much. Isn't that a good calling to embrace? And why should we feel like that would be a threat to the Almighty? Is there anything that you've learned in science that is a threat to your faith? Anything you've had a hard time reconciling? You know, I don't really think so. I mean, there are ethical issues that we encounter uh, that certainly for me as a person of faith take on special significance because I do think of human beings as deserving of particular spiritual attention and having uh, particular connections to God. And so anything that involves an ethical manipulation of an embryo or of a human being is something I'm going to feel pretty strongly about, and that may separate me out uh, from those who don't have a faith perspective. But I've never discovered anything in the science lab that threatened my belief in God. It's actually bit by bit added to it because it's so beautiful. It's so elegant. It all fits together. It's like you're getting a little glimpse of the mind of God when a new discovery is made. Have you ever felt that your faith cause other scientists to disregard you? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) You know, um, I'm pretty open about the fact uh, that I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, I talk about my conversion back in my late 20s as a medical student coming to grips with life and death. And I'm quite at ease about that. Um, Maybe it's easier to be at ease when I'm not currently in the tenure track, because I know it's harder for people in academia to take those kinds of risks. But I'm not alone. 40% of working scientists say they believe in a, in, a, in a God to whom one may pray in expectation of an answer. So not just a deist kind of God that went off somewhere else after creating the universe, but a God who cares about us. 40%. Most of the time, they don't talk about it, because there is this potential of a put-down. And I've had a few of those. But most part, I think the scientific community kind of tolerates me if they don't agree with me and feel kind of encouraged if they do. Well, I think this is something for all of our listeners who happen to be people of faith. Uh, you, you exist in a, in a marketplace that people would think would be very hostile to your faith, and instead you're actually very well respected. Uh, people may differ with you on your faith, but I mean, you're, you're, you're a literal rock star. In the in the and and rocks and and you're a rock star. You actually play guitar as well. What, what's your favorite band? <laughs> My own band. Uh, I've got a rock and roll band that mostly does covers, but uh, we do occasional uh, uh, original stuff, and we even do stuff from this century sometimes. Although a lot of it is the the the, the Beatles and you know the Stones and all the good stuff from back uh, before things got into hip hop and other things that I don't understand. So you do more than covers of Kumbaya. I did. We not kumbaya. We we have an amazing band with a horn section and uh, <laughs> an amazing lead guitarist and a fantastic drummer. And uh, yeah, and I'm prone uh, to occasionally sing lead because I get a bang out of that. So oh, that's great. Well, I think that all of this just lends credence to what you're going to school us on today and talk to us more about is that we just can't. We just can't put you in the in the camp of there's Mr. Science Geek over there who really doesn't understand my life, who doesn't have normal interests, who isn't well-rounded. 
you're uh, you're a pretty pretty impressive dude. And you know, to all those scientists that that don't respect you, it's like, nah, 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 nah. You don't get to be the head of the National Institute of Health. Ha 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 ha. Oh ha ha ha. You don't get to map the human genome. Ha 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 ha. He's smarter than you. Ha 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 ha. I know you wouldn't say that, but it just felt good to say it. You're a you're you're a Renaissance man. But I, I'm ready. I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of lead up. Let's talk COVID because I am not happy. Okay. I'm not happy. I'm just telling you right now. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out my cards where they are, and I'm going to ask some questions, but I know you disagree with me. I want you to disagree with me, and I want you to school me. I want to see the light. I want to articulate what a lot of folks might be feeling, and I, literally straight to the top, Francis, I, I honestly— there's no one else I know or know of that when I say these things to, will I actually know that you know more than me and you're better than me in these areas, but still I got issues. Are you ready for them? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. All right. I just start here. I, I think that we are the most, we are the most safety oriented culture in the history of the world. I think America isn't the land of the free. I think we're the land of the fear my aggressive life listeners have heard me go on this many, many times. We're the most safety oriented culture in the history of the world. We have more, we have more seatbelts. We have more helmets. You can wear a helmet on your motorcycle if you want, that's fine. But when we start putting helmets on people on one speed bikes or even on, uh, on youngsters who are on tricycles inside of their basement, I think we got a problem. I think we got a problem that we have more insurance policies we've ever had before. We are the most medicated culture in the history of the world. And by the way, I believe in the science of chemical imbalances. I am pro-drugs. I am all the, but not to the degree that we have. It's like, I'm feeling fear, pop a pill. I feel like this culture that we have was custom made for COVID and custom made for overreaction. I am a pastor. I pastor the largest church in Cincinnati. You could count on one hand probably the churches in the country that are larger than ours. I haven't done a funeral for COVID yet. No, none of our staff has done a funeral for COVID. I haven't talked to, I, I know a pastor just did one, but it was cancer-related stuff. I'm not saying the statistics are lying. I think the most, one of the, one of the more, uh, st telling statistics I saw yesterday, or I did some digging on it myself, is if we take a look at 2018 and 2019, the number of death certificates, we take a look at the death certificates in 2020, and we just give December the same number that we had in November, which could be off or something like that. We've got, there's 331,000 more death certificates this year than previous years. Um, that's not good. That's certainly not good. That's significant. That's like, you know, World War II, death kind of numbers, but you know, all the, all the normal things that then people say after this, which I'm sure you've heard. And I want you to kind of school us on a lot of those folks were, might've died next year because they had massive health complexities. A lot of every life matters. Every life that's in the womb that matters. Every life that's in the nursing home matters. All of them are precious to God and we should protect all of them. But boy, I look at this sometimes, Francis, and I go, are are we, are we overreacting a little bit? Are we, I've got, I got a buddy of mine who works in um, rehab. He said, normally this time of year, he would have had 20 funerals by suicide. And now he's had 70 by suicide. The science monitor came out and they said uh, just last month that we're three X 
over what we were on depression and anxiety of last year. What do you, what, what do you make of this? Are, are, are we overreacting to COVID? Well, I take your point that we are a very fearsome society and we do things that reflect that in a lot of ways. It always amazes me when I uh, go out for a walk, which I used to do, and see these signs warning you that, you know, the bridge might be slippery if there's snow and ice. Don't people kind of know that that's probably what happens when there's snow and ice? The bridge? So, yeah, we, we've overdone that part. But, Brian, I got to say, when it comes to covid I don't think for the most part we've overdone it. This is the greatest threat to the health of our nation in 102 years. And if we don't take it seriously, um, tens of thousands of people will will die that didn't have to already. Probably tens of thousands have died that didn't need to because we've done a poor job of being really systematic in our response to this. We've been scattershot. Yesterday, 3,400 people died of this disease. Okay, you could say a lot of them were over 65. Well, I am too. Um, and yeah, a lot of them may, yeah, may have count. been may have been in uh, some assisted living facility, but they weren't supposed to die yet. And they did. That's more people than died in 9-11. Every day uh, we are losing a, a group of people like that. That ought to be enough, it seems to me, for us all to say, what can we do individually as people of faith uh, to try to be part of the solution and not part of the problem? And we've not been entirely consistent about that, I have to say. And the science about what we need to do to intervene has been evolving so that you haven't seen exactly the same message on day one that you see now in the middle of December. And people have looked at that and said, well, that's because they don't know what they're talking about and they're making stuff up. No, it's because we're learning about this diabolical virus and all the things it can do that we didn't expect, like infecting people who are fine and having them go out and be a super spreader and infect a lot of other people. We didn't see that one coming, and there it is. So, yeah, I get it that people are sick of this. People are depressed and discouraged. The economy is in the toilet. Uh, people have suffered greatly, and we're still in the middle of it. But the virus doesn't care. We're sick of it. It's having a national party, and it is having a great old time right now. And the more we're careless, and the more we're ready to just sort of say, all oh, the hell with it, uh, the more the virus is going to have its chance to well, take lives that shouldn't have been lost. Well, part of what's so difficult, too, is you just don't know who to listen to. You know, it's like all of us have our feeds and we're listening to our favorite news sources that all have their favorite personalities as trot out and all have mm-hmm. a different spin and twist on the data. Um, And I saw in that Science Monitor article I referenced earlier, they said that this is part of the stress levels. We don't know, we don't know who to listen to. We don't know who to trust. And I'll just say right now, I do trust you. I do, I I trust you. Your book was very formative on me when I read it, you know, all those years ago. Whenever I followed you in a news article or something else, I've always went, hey, that, there's some clarity there. There's some clarity. So, I do, I do trust you, and that's why I wanted to have you on to, to give us just kind of no bullshit. If I could just say that. You said hell, so I'll say no bullshit. If I, if I, if I could just, just I, listeners, listeners, look, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know where I am right now. I, I have a feeling I might be different when I'm done talking with Francis here, but this is critical. This guy is not a pawn of the left. He's not a pawn of the right. He looks at the real deal science. 
do you feel like uh, you're respected by people or do you feel people are still putting you in a, a camp to one side or the other? Well, because I happen to work with the government, there are some people who immediately assume I must be part of some government conspiracy or the deep state or whatever. Keep in mind, I was appointed by President Obama, and then I was reappointed by President Trump. Very few people have been able to say that. Uh, as <laughs> right. The differences between those administrations have been pretty clear. I am not a political person. I'm a scientist. I'm a physician. My goal in life is to try to do what I can do with the time I've got here. Uh, to help people who are suffering from spiritual crises or from medical crises. And we're in the middle of one of those right now on both fronts. And if I have the chance to share some of that real information, not the conspiracy theories, not the stuff that's all been twisted by somebody's political agenda, and there's plenty of those out there, well, that's what I'm called to do. So I'm glad I'm talking to you, Brian, and I hope people are listening to this who might be willing to kind of hit the reset button on everything they thought they knew about COVID and say, okay, what are the real facts? And what should we as people of faith be doing ourselves right now here in December of 2020 to try to get through this? Because we need to get through this. So I, I have no interest in going back and, and second guessing what we've done as a country or not done at this point. I have no interest in that. Um, one of the things I, I would say to anybody who doesn't like what the government's done or what doesn't look like your uh, doesn't like what your employer has done or doesn't like what professional sports have done, you gotta recognize None of us, none of us took a course in seminary, which is where I went, or in MBA school, or in, no one ever took a course on how to handle a pandemic, how to lead in the pandemic, how to navigate through scientific data, who to listen to, how to for no one, no, we are all making it up, all of us. I've, I've changed course a number of times. I've said, we're gonna do this, and then I changed my mind because new data came in. So I really have zero interest in criticizing what the governor has done or the president's done or what this president, that, that's done, that's done. All I wanna do right now is just go, hey, look, hey, look, all of us have done as best as we can, and very few of us did a really, really good job at it, those of us who have leadership responsibilities. That's one on the bridge. But going forward, Francis, right now, what, yeah. what, what's, what's the real skinny now? Like, what, how are you forecasting forward what this disease is going to do over the next several months, the next, I hate to even say it, years? I don't know. Uh, Tell me what we're looking at right now. So the next two or three months are going to be really bad. Uh, you can look at the trajectory of number of cases um, over 3,000 a day. You can look at hospitalizations, a pretty hard number. Uh, over 100,000 people in the hospital right now with COVID-19, the largest number since this all started, and some of those people aren't going to make it. So we're in a very bad place, and holidays are coming, and we know people will be traveling and getting together in risky situations, and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. So how is it going to get better? Let's go to the positives here. Let me tell you that this has been an amazing year in another way, which is the ability to develop in 11 months something that previously has only been done in 10 years, and that is a vaccine. In fact, there's two vaccines that are likely to be approved within the next, so let's say 36 hours, because the FDA is considering the second one today. And those are vaccines which in large scale trials of 30 to 44,000 people have been shown to be safe and 95% effective, which is better than most of us dared to hope they would be. And those will start rolling out. They already have for the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, the Moderna one will probably roll out starting next week and another one probably in January. And so if we follow that course, 
as they make more and more of these uh, doses and get them distributed, we believe we should be in a position for every American to potentially get immunized by early summer. And that's how we're going to put this in the rearview mirror. That's how we will say COVID-19, we're done with you. Because without that, this will go on potentially for years. And yet, Brian, and I want to talk to you about this. When I look at the polls and I see how many people say, I want that vaccine, I'm not interested in that. It's a pretty scary number. And a lot of them are Christians who are suspicious about all this or have heard various stories that this vaccine has something toxic in it or Bill Gates has put a chip in it or something. I mean, we some all, of these conspiracy theories are amazing. We all know the uh, Democrats and, are putting a chip in it. We all know the Democrats are putting a chip in it to brainwash us to vote Democrat the rest of our lives, right? This is nuts. This is crazy stuff. And yet it seems like it's gotten into a lot of people's minds. Or some people are like, oh, it's going to make me sterile or it's going to give me COVID. These vaccines are impossibly, absolutely unable to make you have this disease because of the way they're designed. They might have a sore arm and a fever for a day. And some of them have had that experience. But that just tells you your immune system's working. That the thing, that's not a side effect. That's an effect that tells you it works. But why is this, Brian? What's going on here? Why are Christians, of all people, who are devoted to trying to help those who are suffering and to reach out and be part of healing, why is there such a strong resistance to something that is a gift from God here to get us through this? Well, I, I want to I want to dig into into the vaccine big, but first I want to cross one more uh, a bridge before we get there to help me and others like me. Help, still help me understand how this is going to get worse because of a lot of us, a lot of us don't know anybody who has, uh, who has died from this. Um, a lot of us, um, are in states or cities or in restaurants where people aren't wearing masks and we're not seeing awful things. Um, uh, just speak to that if you will, because some of us must, must be in a bubble because we're not feeling the effects the health effects or seeing the health effects as much as somebody else might. What, why, do, why do you think that is? Did you know anybody who died in 9-11? I did not. Does that mean it, did that did. Mean it didn't happen? Mm. 1% of Americans, believe uh, that, uh, have been sickened by this illness. And, and 330,000 um, roughly uh, have now died. That's an incredible toll. And yet it's still the case. It's a big country uh, that many of us don't necessarily personally know somebody who's died. I know people who've gotten sick. Yes, I do too. They've been pretty sick, but they've yep. gotten better. I mean, I know the president got sick and he was pretty sick. Uh, but is that what we require as Christians? And until I've seen somebody die, I don't think this is serious. There's something wrong with that kind of approach in terms of trying to size up the facts of the matter. Look at the evidence. Look at the 3,400 people that died yesterday, and they really died, and they really died of this virus. Isn't that enough to say, this is a serious threat to our country, and we ought to be doing everything we can to keep it from getting worse in the next couple of months before the vaccines kick in and we start to have a rescue? Boy, you just stumbled so on something. That well, that's a fascinating point. Yeah, you're right. I guess I'm playing, I guess I'm being inconsistent because if I'm saying I haven't seen it and therefore it doesn't exist, I guess I'm in some, I guess I'm being a scientist who would then criticize my faith and say, well, I haven't seen 
you sensing the presence of the Holy Spirit, so then it therefore doesn't exist. I hadn't thought about that before. I guess I'm, wow. Darn you, darn you, doctor. Darn you, Dr. Francis Collins, darn you. I don't like you making me feel like I'm stupid. I don't like that. Wow, that's deep. Okay, all right, keep going. I'm not liking my medicine so far, but keep going. All right, so let's yeah try to set aside any argument that this is not really serious, or worse yet, that it's all a hoax. It breaks my heart when I hear about people dying or close to dying in the ICU who de deny the fact that they could possibly have this virus because they were told it was a hoax. They've been sold a terrible, tragic lie. This is a serious, virally-induced pandemic. So, okay, what do we do about it then, Brian? What should each of us, I mean, if we're not in the circumstance of being in a hospital taking care of patients, how do we actually limit the damage here? Well, it just comes down to the fact that this virus is all around us, and I might have it right now and not even know that because a lot of people won't have symptoms, but I might be infectious. So if I go outside uh, later on today to uh, see somebody, I'm going to put on my mask because I want to keep from potentially infecting that person without intending to. And that's a simple measure. Now, you will say, oh, we're all so fearful. Well, this is a good reason to be fearful. And this is a simple thing you can do. And that mask, you know, Brian, it breaks my heart. The masks have been turned into political symbols. They've been turned into evidence that people are invading your personal freedom. No, that's not right. That mask is simply a life-saving medical device. Think of it that way. If you had the chance when somebody had a cardiac arrest and you knew how to do a defibrillator, uh, would you use it? Well, of course you would. Well, this is your defibrillator equivalent. It's a medical device and it will save lives if you just faithfully put it on. Why is that so hard? And why has it become so controversial and so political and so full of anger and resistance? This is crazy. If I was an alien and I came in from another planet and I looked at the way human beings are treating this idea of wearing masks, and I knew there was a virus around that the mask could basically reduce death from, I would be astounded. How did we get this far off? from what should have been rational thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, my personal, or my personal take is uh, the, the church I lead, we've, we pretty much gone by the book with all the, all the guidelines. We, you know, we shut down when everyone's saying we should shut down. Uh, we open back up on weekends with, you know, everyone with masks and social distancing and not giving away free coffee because, you know, you could, you could have people touching things more. The governor of Kentucky, where we have a couple campuses, uh, requested churches shut down for three weeks. We abided by that. Um, and, and we did that. They, we opened back up at Kentucky this, this weekend. But as I've done that, one of the reasons why I've signed off on, on doing all this and playing it by the book, um, isn't necessarily because it's what I personally wanted to do. It's what I knew that people were prepared for. As a leader, you can't take people where they don't want to go. And the vast majority of Americans do not want to go, and the vast majority of people who are in our church do not want to go into a crowded auditorium. And that's what we're seeing in movie theaters and restaurants and all that other stuff. But personally, though, you know, I've still got some personal hang-ups on throwing all my weight behind. And so I, this is the, called the aggressive life. That's that's what we came on here for. And one of the things that we don't do to be aggressive enough is to just share what we're thinking to then be shot down. Like we, 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 we hold our cards too close. So that's what I'm doing with you. I'm sharing my thinking 
And if you should, so I'm going to share my thinking on the where I am right now on the on the vaccine, and I have a feeling you're going to shoot me down. <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to. Oh, I don't like you. You're go- all right. So here we go. Here we go. Um, someone asked me. I was on a radio show just yesterday. And they said, "Are you going to get the vaccine?" And I said, "I said at this point, I don't. I don't think so. And here's my reasons for it." You know, 99% of all Americans are not going, 99 point whatever, are not going to die of uh, from the coronavirus. I'm healthy enough. I'm not in the high-risk category. I think I would be like everybody else I know has gotten it. I think I'll, I think I'll weather it. I'm not, I'm just not sure enough is known about it. And I do hope the 80% of Americans do get the vaccine <laughs> because only if we feel safe, Will things open back up? And the vaccine does that. So um, I'm pro-vaccine. I think vaccine's great, but I'm not sure that I'm going to get it for the reasons I just said. Am I am I stupid? Am I unscientific? Am I selfish? What what am I there? What do you think? So you're counting on the other eighty percent to take care of you, but you're not willing to take care of them. No. Does that feel good? No, that no, no, doesn't feel good because that's not necessarily what I'm saying. No, because I'm I'm not counting them to take care of me. I'm counting on if I get it, I'll be like the other five people I know. It'll be a bad cold for a week and I'll be back to normal. But the only way we're going to see the end to this suffering and death from this is, as you say, if something like 80% of Americans get immunized. That means that we all collectively have a responsibility to be part of that solution. And people who opt out, uh, like you're proposing to do, are limiting the chance uh, to end this epidemic and therefore dooming some people you don't even know yet, potentially, to getting sick and dying in the future. Mm. How can you hold back your willingness to be part of the solution on the basis of the consequences that you might be creating? Okay, um, good question. I, it's, it's not, it's not um, stubbornness of, I don't want to do what other people are doing. I'm, I'm pro-vaccination. We vaccinated all our kids and all this stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm pro-vaccination. I'm just a little concerned that we don't know enough. I'm excited the FDA has is, is put this on the fast track, but I'm concerned that we know enough. I mean, I, shoot, man, are my balls going to fall off? I mean, uh, people, people are talking here about uh, I could be infertile. I, don't, I, I already got fixed, so I guess that doesn't bother me, but maybe something else is going to happen. How do I... How, I I, I, this is a podcast, so I'm trying to have a little fun here. And the scientist is going along with me. I wish you could see him. He's actually smiling right now. He's actually smiling. But I, I'm just, I don't know, man. Do, do, do we really know that there isn't going to be some side effect that I'm, I'm not going to be comfortable with? Well, look at the data. And the data is all public. So this bothers me that people are willing to look at some crazy-ass thing that came through their social media that has no basis at all. And yet the complete data on 44,000 people who took part in the Pfizer vaccine trial is there for anybody who wants to pull it up and look at it. And yes, what were the side effects? There it is. Uh, People got sore arms. Uh, Some people got a fever for a day. Some people were fatigued for a day or two. There were four people who got something called Bell's palsy, where you get a temporary paralysis of the facial muscles, but it goes away after a while. Not clear whether that was caused by the vaccine or it was just going to happen anyway. That would be the most serious thing that we've seen. And then there have been a couple of people who had an allergic reaction once they started distributing this, but that happens with almost any vaccine. So that's the actual data. Now, I can't tell you that five years from now, uh, the people who got one of these vaccines 
might not one in a million of them have some side effect that we hadn't been able to predict. You can never say that about any intervention. But compared to the alternative, where even you, healthy as you are, if you get sick with this, you could get very sick and you could die. That's right. It's a benefit risk thing. I would argue um, that in this instance, the benefit of the vaccine exceeds the risk from everything that we know. And that's why I'm going to roll my sleeve up and get injected as soon as my turn comes in the priorities that are currently being set. So long term, that was a follow up question. You already answered it there. We don't know the long term consequences because the vaccine's only been in the laboratory for obviously much less than a year. We don't know right. the. You're saying. You're saying what that that you don't think there are going to be or whatever long term consequences there are are going to be far outweighed by the vaccine. What uh, talk to me more about that? Because I'm, I'm saying that in terms of serious side effects of vaccines, the vast majority of those happen in the first two months after you've been immunized. And we've now looked at 44,000 people and have not seen anything in those first two months that's alarming. Again, I'm trying to be totally honest here. I can't tell you what rare thing might happen uh, 10 years from now that would be unprecedented that hasn't happened with other vaccines, because we don't know that. But I would judge just based on experience of other vaccines and everything we know about this one, that that's very unlikely. And compared to the chance of dying from COVID-19, which is not just hypothetical, 3,400 people suffered and died yesterday, this seems like a pretty good balance of decision-making. What about the concerns over infertility and some of these things? Is that, is that a real concern or not? They're completely made up. There is absolutely no possible reason I can come up with why this should be in any way associated with that. There's a crazy thing that somebody put forward that this vaccine is going to allow your immune system to attack the placenta if you're a pregnant woman. And there's absolutely no evidence behind that at all. Mm. So compare, uh, can you compare this vaccine to others? I, I love that the FDA came out really, really fast here. Uh, it's like, okay, our government was like, chop, chop, let's go, go to it. Um, cause you know, I, I like aggressive moves like that, but then the other hand, I'm like, okay, but we did do this thing pretty fast versus other ones that we had much longer time to, to figure out. Can you compare the risk of taking this one versus the first people who took the smallpox vaccination or the mm -hmm. first people who took any of those vaccinations? Where, where are we on the bandwidth of acceptability? I would say we know a heck of a lot more about this one than smallpox or polio or virtually any vaccine uh, up until now because of the way in which this was conducted on such a large number of individuals in a very public way. Um, it was done quickly because people were dying. And so we figured out as part of this Operation Warp Speed how to cut out a lot of the dead time that normally happens when you're developing a vaccine, dead time in between phase one and phase two, and in between phase two and phase three, and then a huge dead time to manufacture the doses if the darn thing turns out to work. And all of this was done very carefully so that they wouldn't have those big gaps. And that's how we're here in 11 months instead of 10 years. But the actual rigor and the public disclosure of what was happening has been at a higher level than it ever has been uh, for these particular vaccines. So that should be of some reassurance. Yeah, that's good. What about, what about things like our level of pollution, our environment? Uh, what, what are the things that we have in our culture or in our world right now that are making us 
more susceptible to a pandemic like this? Is this, is this causing us to reevaluate how we're treating creation? It should, and how we're treating our own bodies. I mean, we are not a healthy society. We are probably, for the most part, particularly vulnerable to COVID-19 because of obesity and diabetes and hypertension, a lot of things that relate to our not having done a very good job of maintaining our health. And certainly this environment uh, with what's happening with uh, the air and the water, and certainly as things get warmer and warmer, and we know that's having some effect also uh, in terms of the way in which certain infectious diseases carried by insects, uh, for instance, are arriving in places uh, they wouldn't have been expected to before. That's all in the mix. Um, so that might mean that COVID-19 is even worse uh, than it would have been if we'd taken care of ourselves. I mean, you probably know that the greatest risk uh, to somebody your age uh, of getting sick and dying of this is if you have another chronic illness, you have kidney disease or heart disease or obesity or diabetes, and an awful lot of us do. Uh, we have a pretty darn unhealthy nation. So I'm going to let you give a sermon here. I think you've already given up. I want to be really clear. You're, 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 you're winning me over. You're wooing me. I, I kind of, I kind of suspect that that, suspected that that would happen. Um, if I were to go before all of my audiences, all of the campuses, that I lead the people, yada, yada, and I were to, and I were to come out and counsel people on what to do, which is pretty much what I don't do. I don't counsel people on how to vote. I don't, I don't counsel people on the latest, latest world event of the day or, and that's part of what gets me into trouble. Everyone always wants me to speak out more. I'm like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't crack on Barack Obama when he had a lot of policies that were very anti-faith, and I'm not going to go into those right now, but I didn't crack on, and I didn't crack on, on Donald Trump for having a lot of policies that are anti-faith. I know that sounds shocking to some Christians. <gasps> Donald Trump, yes, yes, yes. He did not or does not act like a man of faith. And I don't want to get into all those things. There's, there's many things, but all I'm saying is I don't, I don't take big stances on things. I feel like people have enough data. They can make their own decision. But if I were, if I were to give a sermon or make a five minute statement on the vaccine, what do you wish that I would say to everybody? Well, every good sermon deserves three points, right? Isn't that the way you always construct these yeah. things? O open up with a poem. <laughs> And then three points, yes. <laughs> well, sorry, I don't have a poem ready, but let me start with the three points. So first of all, there is good news. There is hope. Uh, there is a light that's coming at the end of this long tunnel. Uh, we are going to get through this. Uh, the way in which uh, this virus has afflicted us has given us great pain, but we have a solution that's coming. Uh, we just got to stick it out. That's point number one. Point number two, the bad news. It's not here yet for most of us, and we're going to have a very tough two or three months, and that is going to require us, each of us, to take responsibility to try to limit the harms, which is going to continue to ask us to do things we don't want to do, like avoiding gathering in large crowds indoors without masks, which is where super spreading happens and people are going to die. And then the third one is, we are children of God. We are followers of Jesus. We have a source of wisdom and comfort that we can lean upon. Yes, we can lament because this is a time of lamenting, but we can also call upon that sense of God's support and courage and strength 
that we know is for us. And we can, as I'm often doing, think about Psalm 46, that God is, is here for us. He's the ever-present help in trouble. Uh, he's the refuge and the strength that we need. And God knows we need refuge and strength right now because we are in trouble. But we, as Christians, we have that we can lean on. I lean on that every morning and every evening, and you can too. We're going to get through this, but let's please use the God-giving insights that we could arrive at to figure out how we can be part of saving lives and not causing more death and destruction, which is so easy to have happen around us with this virus running wild. We can get through this, but it's up to all of us to make that come out the way it needs to, uh, where we can next summer, you know, go to a ball game, go to a concert, uh, uh, go and watch the football game. Uh, this it's going to be possible, but we're not there yet. Next summer as in 2021 summer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on the vaccine, but Brian, you got to get in, you got to get your vaccine and be part of the 80% or we're not going to get there. All right. So that's what I'm trying to make sure that that's the sermon. <laughs> I want. let me, let me replay back to you. The sermon on the vaccine. I think you're saying you're saying, uh, one, the vaccine has been tested it's as sure as any other vaccine we've ever had at this point. Yep. Two, if you have the vaccine and there even is a side effect, the statistical likelihood that you're going to have a negative side effect is overwhelmed by the statistical likelihood that you're going to have COVID and have bad, have a bad thing with COVID. And three and three, it's an act of loving your neighbor as yourself, because if I take it, I'm lessening the likelihood that other people could catch it from me. And so I am acting as a good community member. That's beautiful. And that's exactly what I would hope you would share with people. All right. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to share that, but I'm close to it because you've, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, very close. I, I'm just like, uh, the only reason I'm the only reason I'm not going to tell you right now is absolutely I'm going to do that is I came into this podcast pretty firm that I wasn't going to do the vaccine, and you got me at least ninety nine point nine percent there. But I I I want I need at least a day to reflect. Well, in fact, I I guess I have more time because I'm not going to be able to have it for what how many more months until I can actually have it. But but Brian, aren't we doing a podcast right now? So a lot of people have already heard you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. It's a good word. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm at least going to allow myself to process and think, yeah, maybe I'll have the answer to you in five minutes after we do our lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round, which is our traditional closing part of our podcast? Do you have enough time for the lightning round, Dr. Dr. Francis Collins? I got about three minutes, so it's going to be lightning. All right. Good. That's exactly right. One, one to two sentence answers. Here we go. Go. The historical figure you would most like to meet and you can't say Jesus? Oh, I'll go with C.S. Lewis. I'd love to talk to that guy. What do you see as the most important scientific work you've done in your career? Leading the Human Genome Project. I was going to ask you most important person in terms of impacting your faith, but you would have already said C.S. Lewis, correct? Um, yeah, although St. Augustine's right up there too, but probably C.S. Lewis. What do you say to people who are growing weary of masks and social distancing? I'm totally sympathetic because I'm weary too. But if you care about your neighbors, your family, your grandparents, then keep it up. We're going to 
have to stick with this a few more months if you want to save lives. Thing you're most excited about that's being worked on in the realm of science? Uh, it's got to be the vaccines. Here they come. This is going to get this pandemic over. Most aggressive move you ever made in your personal life? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess having the courage um, to ask my wife. Diane to marry me after I had a failed first marriage and thought I was probably not the greatest gift to women (laughs) or to her anyway. That's good. You're a good man. (laughs) All right. uh, Francis, is there anything you want to say that I haven't, we haven't talked about yet? Any, just anything for you? Like, Hey, I got to make sure I say this. Anything else? Well, I can say how refreshing it is uh, to have a conversation like this uh, where we're not beating around the bush or pretending uh, to have attitudes that we don't really have. And let's just keep doing more of that. And I'm so glad in your church and here in this podcast, that's the approach you're going to take, because I think that's what we're called to do uh, is to really wrestle with issues uh, respectfully in a civil way. One more plug for biologos.org, by the way, is a place where you can see more of that going on about science and faith. But this has been great, so keep it up. Well, I also want to just tell you, you made a believer out of me. I'm going to go public right now. I'm going to get the vaccine. All right. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. All right. I I am thrilled to hear that. Yeah, I am. uh, I am. I'll I'll process it more later. I'm just sitting here going, I I I think I'm holding too much on to some of my bitterness around all the COVID stuff, and it's kind of mentally a way for me to kind of stick it to COVID. Like, oh, no, I'm not going to get your vaccine. Just, just hearing you talk, you've, you've, uh, you've brought a lot of clarity to me again. And um, I, I need to process this more. This has been a very deep conversation, the best conversation I've had on anything for a long time. Thank you, brother. This has been, this has been just great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any, any, any final advertisement you want to make like, Hey, go read this or go buy this or follow me. This is your time to pump your stuff other than your bio, your bio org website or whatever that was. <laughs> B I O L O G O S biologos, basically meaning life and God's word. Uh, dot org. Uh, have a look at that. But if you're interested in more information about COVID, a CDC is a great place to go and get the real facts of the matter. So I can't help but plug them a little bit too. And And Brian, again, um, I really, really appreciate what you're doing as a leader. And if you're going to take the vaccine, maybe some other people listening to this will decide to do so. And I love what you said a minute ago, that we're all kind of challenging, channeling our anger about this terrible situation. And it's easy to have that spill out in all kinds of ways in terms of other things that we're looking at and making decisions about. So it is a really good moment, as we've done in this, to kind of put all that aside and say, okay, what's really going on here? And set aside all of the other noise. There's a lot of noise out there, and we're all carrying a lot of baggage right now. And Just strip it off, put yourself in front of the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Uh, open my eyes. Give me the insight I seem to be missing. That's what we all can do every day. Well, today wasn't noise, brother. Today was clarity, and I thank you for it. And uh and I'm with you. So that's it. Hey, hey, boys and girls, that concludes another episode of The Aggressive Life. If you like this, go and share this. And you should share this. My gosh, th- dudes, this is like straight from the, uh, he's not a horse, but straight from the expert's mouth. Straight there. This is uh, inarguable. Seriously, all the uh, chatter. 
I think there's a lot of clarity here. Why don't you bless somebody by giving them this episode and why don't you like it too? We'd love to get more listeners. And so that concludes another episode of The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band judges for the music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.